Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. Today we have on Kenny Florian. He is a former mixed martial artist, a color commentator, and the host of the Anik Florian podcast. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited for this one personally. I'm a, I'm a huge mixed martial arts fan. Um, just recently began uh, watching PFL, but I've been watching the UFC uh, for as long as I can remember. So I'm excited to uh, have an OG uh, of the UFC, of the Ultimate Fighter, obviously uh, season one on, uh, on Team Liddell on the show today uh, to, to talk about MMA and, uh, and UFC. That's a kind way of saying I'm old, man. I appreciate that. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very, very roundabout. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I could have said it the more uh, upfront way, which was yeah. uh, you were on the Ultimate Fighter when I was four years old. <laughs> so, Damn, <laughs> amazing! Absolutely. Well, uh, well, yeah, man. I'm excited to have you on. First things first. I figure let's uh, let's talk about your journey to MMA. Obviously, when it comes to uh, different fighters, there are different reasons why they take up the sport. And, and what in what in my mind is one of the most physically challenging sports out there. Uh, you know, people like George St. Pierre obviously began the sport. Uh, because he was bullied so extensively and he used it as a way to, to make himself stronger. Uh, uh, people like Leon Edwards, uh, he did it out of necessity, out of the violence uh, that he grew up in. Uh, you personally, what brought you to uh, to the sport of MMA? Yeah, you know, um, my father was was always interested in martial arts. He was a black belt in judo, um, would, would always talk about um, some of the great martial arts masters and uh, he, he's, he, he would talk, he was a physician. Um, he was a uh, thoracic and cardiovascular surgeon, but he had a great interest in martial arts, great interest in, um, uh, I guess, uh, the history of war. And, and I used to listen to him talk with others about, um, various things from weapons to strategies. And I would just sit there and just kind of listen. Uh, so maybe that was kind of, you know, martial arts movie. So that all had a big influence on me growing up. Um, I did not grow up, um, you know, in a dangerous area. I was not bullied. I, I don't have any, um, kind of redemption stories in that regard, but I, I did start martial arts when I was a kid. I, I remember doing martial arts. I was probably nine, 10 years old, um, doing karate and Kung Fu. And there was something about it. There, there was something I always compare it to having some kind of spiritual or religious experience. Uh, the world had stopped and that was the only thing that existed. And I don't, you know, I, I would get that for moments playing soccer. I played soccer all the way through, through, you know, when I was at Boston college. Um, and that was probably one of my first loves, but nothing gave me that spiritual feeling like martial arts did uh, everything from the uniform it felt like it was like an armor that I put on. It was this like kind of superhero outfit that I would put on as a kid. And I just loved wearing it. Uh, and then anytime I was practicing um, at, you know, a dojo or whatever, I, I just, I loved it. I, I was just fascinated with everything from the different animals and what they signified, you know, whether it was a crane signifying grace or a tiger power and strength. And I, I just, I, I loved the whole thing. Um, I, I got more seriously into soccer and tennis. Um, I was one of six kids. My parents didn't have a whole lot of time to take me around to practices and things like that. So I kind of left martial arts um, and, and on, on the back, back, backside uh, for a few, you know, after a few years of training and um, you know, but I, I always missed it, got back into it in college and um, was just, Again, just kind of fascinated uh, with it. Why I had kind of dedicated my life to it is I felt like um, I needed something. I, I, I didn't live a very difficult life. I, uh, 
I, I felt like I did need it, though. And getting into an actual fight and getting into an actual fight against someone who really knew what they were doing terrified me. Uh, I think like a lot of people, I had those dreams of um, getting into some kind of uh, physical altercation and being absolutely useless. And, uh, you know, whether it's my punches weren't effective or I just didn't know what to do or freezing, that stuff scared me. And instead of running away from it, um, you know, when I found out about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I said, "This this is something I need to learn. I need to do this. And literally from the first day that I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I got that spiritual feeling back and, um, and I was obsessed. Literally, it was like the only thing I would think about. Um, and I, everything from taking notes to uh, consuming as much as possible about it. Obviously, we didn't really have, uh, you know, the magic of the Internet and YouTube and all the techniques and instructors out there. But um, whatever tapes, VHS tapes, Joe, I know you know nothing about that. Uh, whatever was out there, I tried to buy and consume. And me and my brothers would practice uh, daily a few times a day, actually. That's phenomenal. That's uh, that's extremely interesting. Um, and it's 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 good to hear because uh, oftentimes uh, when it comes to some of the more prominent fighters, um, they, they, they generally, like you said, you know, they have some sort of redemption arc or a story or a reason they got into MMA. Um, uh, but but it's good to hear that, you know, you you grew up uh, as it sounds comfortably uh, and yeah. you you chose voluntarily to go into MMA, you know, specifically because uh, you, you needed something that was that was difficult for you. Um, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I want to go, go back and emphasize, um, the necessity for it. And, and there was this fear. I, I wasn't being bullied. I, I, the, the odds or the chances of me getting into, into some kind of physical altercation of, you know, at Boston college or at, uh, you know, where, where I grew up was probably slim to none, uh, or rare anyway, things happen in college, of course, but, um, it, again, it, it was this thing that kind of was pushing me and, and fear could be a great motivator, uh, to, to create some type of action. 100%. And I, I get behind you on the, the necessity to do challenging things and, uh, the, just for the sake of it, you don't necessarily yeah. have to, um, you know, there's a, there's a path you could take. That's much easier. Obviously you're going to Boston college. It's a very good school. Um, uh, right down the road for me, actually. Oh, and nice. uh, uh, you know, you you could take the easy path. There are so many different things you could do, um, but you chose to take an outsized amount of risk on yourself. Um, it's extremely important. It's something. It's it's what ultimately led uh, me to meeting Nick Batia, the author of that book back there, and then building you know TBL into to the brand uh, that we're trying to create. You know, I could have gone to grad school. I could have stayed the course in college, but I didn't. And I think that. For anyone listening to this, it's extremely valuable um, to take just an outsized amount of risk off your, off your uh, you know, on yourself. Uh, take the leap off the cliff, um, and uh, and just have a vision um, and go out and execute it. And you clearly did. Uh, you fought uh, some of the the scariest dudes, uh, you know, that were uh, that were around, that are still around today, um, yeah. but but were were around back in the day. You know, the BJ Pens, uh, the Takanori Gomis uh, of the world, um, absolutely terrifying. What is the transition like moving from? Uh, 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 you know, fighting uh, individuals like that into uh, ultimately doing color commentary and uh, your podcast with John Anik. Uh, sorry, what's what's the question in regards to that? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so what's that transition like? You know, uh, what's the transition waking like? up every day. You know, getting yeah. training to 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 fight killers and then uh, you know uh, uh, becoming a color commentator. Yeah. Well, ultimately, my body would kind of succumb to uh, my training. Um, 
you know, I, I had some injuries, uh, primarily my back injury that I dealt with probably from 2007 to when I retired in 2011. Um, and I think it was somewhere around 2007, um, 2008, where I was offered to do some commentary for the UFC. They asked me if I'd like to commentate one of the fights. Uh, they said, you may fight one of these guys in the main event. It was a main event fight between Clay Guida and Roger Huerta. I would ultimately fight both of them down the line. Uh, but it was a fantastic fight. Uh, he's like, you love the fight game. Why don't you, you call the fight? And maybe you can use that as a way to promote your next fight against one of those guys. I was like, cool, I'll, I'll do it. So I sat in the booth. I, I, I commentated a fight. I had a lot of fun. Um, I guess they liked my work. Um, Joe Rogan uh, wasn't able to do UFC 83. It was a rematch between um, Matt Serra and George St. Pierre in Montreal. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do the show. I got a call. They said, would you like to call the fight with, with Mike Goldberg? And I was like, really? Yeah, he called the whole show. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. I, you know, I, I don't have a ton of experience, but I'll do it. I did some research, you know, uh, called the fights, had a blast. It was amazing. Um, and that kind of what got my foot in the door and kind of, uh, I guess, offered the UFC another option besides Joe Rogan. Um, after that, ESPN had contacted me about being a part of a new show called MMA Live with uh, who was an unknown at the time, John Anik. And we uh, had started the show, uh, MMA Live. It was on uh, ESPN.com, then would ultimately move to ESPN2 at like two in the morning or something. And we had the kind of this cult following because it was the first time that mixed martial arts had kind of gone uh, mainstream. It was a huge deal, especially on ESPN yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that was really cool. Uh, and you know, that that's what led to a deal with, with the UFC when I had retired. Uh, I remember Dana calling me when I did hurt my back. He said, you know, you can work with, we work for us forever. If you want, you always have a job here. <laughs> Just kind of ironic because I no longer work for them, but uh, yeah, but you know, it, it, it was a, it was an awesome opportunity to work for both ESPN and uh, the UFC themselves, and then that would ultimately lead to a deal with Fox Sports. I, I'd be kind of, I think I was like the first professional athlete to actually host the show. Um, that was uh, UFC Tonight on Fox Sports. Um, and now I'm, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm doing commentary for the PFL and, and have that podcast with John Anik, uh, you know, that we started what back in, I don't know, I guess seven years ago. So yeah, it was kind of a, a nice transition. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't the most physically gifted athlete. Um, I, I was a good athlete. I, I wasn't, um, I would say special in any way. I wasn't a Francis Ngato or a John Jones or anything like that. So I had to rely on on other things, I had to rely on uh, new methods, uh, unusual tactics and strategies, um, and really try to think my way through things. And um, so I, I tried to be as smart as possible with my approach, um, both in training and, um, you know, execution of the fight. It didn't always go my way. I certainly made mistakes. Um, but one thing I pride myself on, um, you know, above any win that I've had was my ability to adapt, evolve and improve. You know, no matter what, whether I won or lost, uh, I always felt that each and every fight, I was always better than I was before. And and that really was what, you know, drove me every single day in practice to train hard uh, and improve. And, and I tried to carry um, that approach to analyzing fights and, and seeing things a little bit differently than, than what was out there. You know, a lot of times 
we point out and get excited about the things that we can see. But there's so much that's happening that you can't see. And I do my best to try to explain that and, and look for those things and, and uh, try to educate uh, the fans the best that I can. And I will say you do a great job. I think uh, your analysis is some of my favorite. And when it comes to mixed martial arts, in particular, uh, the UFC and UFC commentators, uh, I, I take a special appreciation with the fact that a lot of them are former uh, athletes themselves. A lot of them competed uh, mm. for uh, the UFC or other organizations, uh, aside from uh, a couple of journalists that are that are very large and prominent. Uh, the majority of, of commentators, the majority of pundits uh, who have their own shows and provide their own analysis, um, they are UFC fighters themselves. And I think that gives the sport an edge that gives the watchability of the sport an edge uh, over something like, uh, you know, the NBA or the NFL, where the majority of the analysts are dudes with white hair and suits who haven't played, uh, you know, since there weren't helmets. Right. Um, and uh, I, I take a special appreciation with uh, with mixed martial arts in that regard, for sure. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin. Um, I think, you know, what what was really, really interesting to me is that uh, I, I saw you on one of my Twitter spaces, I think, uh, last month or two months ago. Uh, and we were talking about the, the FOMC's decision to, to hike rates by 50 basis points. And I look in the audience, and there's Kenny Florian. Um, and I was taken aback for a second. And then I looked in your bio and I, I saw a hashtag Bitcoin. And there's been this interesting thread of mixed martial artists who uh, enjoy Bitcoin to, to some degree. They're, they're, you know, they, they, they have it as a topic that they're interested in. Um, and uh, it, it's curious to me, you know, uh, Francis Ngannou, uh, a while back, began talking about it um, in, in Bitcoin in Africa, actually, uh, which is something we've uh, been been talking about on the show for a while. Ben Askren as well, and and yourself. So, um, talk to us a little bit about you know what, why you're interested in Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I, I guess I learned about it uh, when it was first like seventy five dollars. Uh, a buddy of mine, when I was living in Los Angeles, had told me about this thing called Bitcoin. Uh, it had just gone down. It was about 75 bucks. You got to get involved. And I was like, oh, what is this thing? And, you know, he gave me some loose definition of what it was that kind of piqued my curiosity. And um, I, I I was in real estate at the time, like I had a few places and I was thinking about, all right, what should I do? So I, I wanted to do more research. I had no idea about it. And, and of course, my first thoughts about Bitcoin was to kind of doubt it. And like, what is this thing? You know, the government's going to shut it down. This is a real thing, blah, blah, blah. And I hesitated. I dragged my feet um, and didn't get involved until a little bit later. Um, I think my introduction was like, you know, uh, you know, getting involved in, uh, you know, in, in other, in other uh, cryptocurrency and, um, you know, got that because it was cheaper. You know, that, that was my level of understanding. Um, and then ultimately, as I did more research, I was like, okay, well, it seems like Bitcoin's more expensive for a reason. What is this thing? And and really started learning about it, sold everything that I had um, in, in Ethereum and went all in on Bitcoin. Um, and to be honest, really what piqued my curiosity more than anything else is like, if this is something that catches on, I can make some money. That That's all I really cared about. Like, I can make some money. It, it, it's really interesting that I, you know... I don't really need the reliability of a bank or whatever. That was that was cool, but more than anything else, I'm like, hey, this is an opportunity for me for me to make some money. Um, and then I just started doing more research. So that was probably 2016, 2017 when I first um, started buying Bitcoin, and um, you know, 
was there for for the peaks and valleys and and you know all the craziness. I remember being super nervous. Do I sell? What's going on? Oh my gosh, it dropped all the way down. Um, and I just kind of kept accumulating. Um, as I learned more, I, I became, I guess, more optimistic about it. I, I, I was more intrigued about it. It brought me into realms that I don't think I ever uh, imagined myself going into based on what I first heard about Bitcoin. Um, but as you're well aware, and as so many Bitcoiners are aware, it, you realize that it's much bigger than just making money. It's much bigger than just owning your own money. Um, it, um, it involves so many different things and you start realizing that, um, this person or group of persons, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, was some kind of, uh, unusual genius, right? Because, you know, for me, it, it's one thing to come up with an answer, but I think it's, it's a more difficult thing to actually ask the right questions and then come up with the answer shows a level of brilliance and a level of genius that I think is um, extremely rare. Uh, you know, obviously the, these individuals or individual was um, certainly special. And um, when it starts to drag you into these other realms and you start realizing, wow, this is this is much bigger than anything um, we've really ever had from a technological standpoint, from um, ad advancing uh, humanity and advancing the world. And I've always been intrigued with a take that is so unusual that it's probably right. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you look at all the chaos in the world, everyone is kind of on that same page. And when you are dealing with someone who is an expert in their field or an expert in a certain realm, um, they're not thinking like everybody else. Um, when you see a take that is very common and everyone's on the same page, in my opinion, they're typically wrong. And, uh, you know, everything from mixed martial arts, when I first came into mixed martial arts, actually, let's go back a little bit further. Sorry, Joe, I'm all over the place. But let me go back to even Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu was a big time threat to the martial arts community. Um, because number one, all the way back in UFC one, you know, the, yeah, the exactly. was dominating. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and all these other martial artists that thought that they can kill you with one blow and all these martial artists that were training in Kata, which was really theory, right. Um, realized that their fighting skills, uh, were not effective, that it did not work in real, in a real fight. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was proving themselves because they had the experience, um, in real fights. Uh, to show that, um, you know, we have a system here that actually works. Why does it actually work? Because we're proving it against other fighters, whereas everything else was was, was in theory. And, um, you know, everyone had doubted Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and everyone, um, you know, thought that a karate black belt was the most dangerous dude in the world. Um, and it, it took repeated attempts for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to prove themselves. And, um, to me, it was kind of like that proof of work of like, okay, you guys have all these theories. Well, we're actually going to prove it to you. Um, and yeah, so that to me was, was interesting and it really turned the martial arts world upside down. There was a small group of Brazilians, uh, that were claiming that they had the best style and everyone's like, yeah, whatever, man. Uh, and they went out and showed that they could actually do that. So that was really intriguing. And, um, to me, it, it, that's kind of the same thing with mixed martial arts. It was like, well, you want to learn how to fight? Well, do it. Go and fight and show us. And 
um, to me, Bitcoin kind of is still doing that same thing. How many people really know what Bitcoin is about and what it can do? So to me, I'm optimistic and um, a, a big time believer have been for a long time. And it's just a matter of time for others to, to truly catch on and realize the beauty, the simplicity. Uh, also, there's there's complexity as well, but um, just what Bitcoin can do. Indeed. And it, seem, it seems that cycle after cycle, um, Bitcoin continues uh, sort of proving itself as a superior and uh, as a superior money, um, you know, uh, similar to, to BJJ in its early days, I suppose, when, when it came to mixed martial arts, um, you know, there were people, you know, turning their heads and saying, what the hell is this? What are these crazy Brazilians talking about? Right. right. Um, you know, one one uh, form of martial arts to rule them all. And as it turns out, right, um, if if you were great if you were good good at bjj didn't matter if you were uh you know like you said the best karate black belt in the world um if you get taken down and you don't know what you're doing down there you know it's it's really their realm and it, it brought about the importance of uh actually obviously it's one of the letters in mma but mixing the martial arts and, and learning uh you know learning ground game and developing that um and now it's evolved into uh, a, a, a component of the game that is just as important, if not more important, uh, than uh, your striking um, uh, today in, in modern mixed martial arts. And it's pretty incredible. And we're seeing cycle after cycle, Bitcoin sort of doing the same exact thing. When it, when it first came about, um, the only unique aspect of Bitcoin itself, um, or one of the only as unique aspects of Bitcoin itself was the difficulty adjustment. Every other aspect of Bitcoin was drawn from pre-existing work, from cypherpunks. Um, uh, proof of work, Adam Back uh, created that. And that's one of the, the, the largest components of Bitcoin. And so whereas MMA is sort of this confluence of several different martial arts disciplines into, aha, look at what we've done. We've accidentally created the most entertaining form uh, you know, uh, of sport in the world um, with Bitcoin in 2008, following the great financial crisis. It was sort of all of these different niche cypherpunk developments combined with the difficulty adjustment to inadvertently or advertently um, from some savant or, or group of absolute geniuses uh, to create sort of this apex form of money um, that, uh, you know, again, cycle after cycle continues to, to, to prove itself as being the best. Absolutely. And it, it was really bred out of necessity um, or, or what was seen as a necessity. And, and, and people are, again, understanding, you know, I'm always fascinated with things that are able to break the mold that, that really kind of melt your brain and challenge your thinking of what is done now and what can be done now. And the reality is, is that people don't like change. And so much of that resistance to Bitcoin, resistance to anything happens out of fear. And like, no, I want to stay in my comfort you know, comfortable little bubble. I don't want to believe that everything's bad and that I need these things. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, over time, people are going to realize that. And, and the unfortunate reality is a lot of these things happen through pain, right? Just like fighting. You realize like, oh, you make a mistake. There are repercussions for that. And we're seeing this all over the world, you know, from, from Lebanon to Venezuela to, you know, um, you know, a lot of the African countries to a lot of the Latin American countries where, you know, their currencies are being inflated to the point where they cannot survive or can't survive well or can't have a good life because of some decisions, decisions that are made uh, by their governments. And, you know, we think that, uh, you know, money is really... Uh, 
you know, that, that we actually own our money. And the reality is, is that we do not. Um, Bitcoin is the first time that we have that separation of money and state. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are going to learn some hard lessons, unfortunately, it, and uh, they're not seeing it as uh, in insurance. And insurance has no use until you actually need it. And, and Bitcoin, of course, is more than insurance, but people just aren't seeing it yet as much as they should. And, and I think when they do, uh, it's going to get crazy. 100%. It's going to get crazy. Once once the need for Bitcoin comes about in the Western world, which is uh, actual ownership of money and verifiable ownership of money, because here in the Western world, we sort of take it for granted to some degree. Right? I can open up you know, my, my union bank account on my phone um, and I can say, well, look, my money's right here. I own my money. Um, when in actuality, you don't. And neither does the bank, um, in right. all truth. right? Your money has been lent out. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if we, if we all were to go to the bank window all at once, uh, we wouldn't be able to withdraw it per se, but thankfully that bank has aligned with the fed who can, you know, imbue the bank with enough money and enough credit for you to withdraw. And it doesn't become an issue until you live in one of these nations, um, where you actually don't own your money whatsoever. It's more viable, uh, you know, to cook your food with, uh, you know, to, to set on fire and cook your food with, um, or to just throw away outright. And I think that's, um, that, that's in all likelihood one of the reasons why uh, I, I saw Francis Ngannou begin uh, talking about Bitcoin far and away, well before anybody else did. Um, and I think you know a component of that had to do with sponsorships, but I think another component of it had to do with um, you know him obviously living in Cameroon, um, working in mines as a child, uh, and not really owning anything at all, uh, not owning any of his work. Um, and, uh, and with Bitcoin, obviously in the Western world, you, you have more access to your money. You have the ability to accumulate wealth, uh, but also with Bitcoin itself, um, for individuals in countries uh, like Cameroon, um, you have the ability for the first time to actually store your wealth somewhere and not have it confiscated or devalued uh, by the central bank of the country that you live in. And I think that above all else, um, you know, on a world scale, that's probably the most important innovation for people not in the Western world. I think in the Western world, we see it more so as uh, you know, people uh, like yourself and like myself as well. I joined for this reason. Uh, initially, took up an interest for this reason because you know, number go up, right? This is the potential to make money. Um, but through time, as you learn about central banking, as you learn about in response to every crisis, the currency just gets devalued. Then the value proposition for Bitcoin begins increasing again. So, different parts of the world, there are sort of these different value propositions for Bitcoin, right? In uh, you know, in, in sub-Saharan Africa, it's ownership, uh, you know, and, and storage of wealth. Um, in the Western world, uh, you know, it's an inflation hedge. It's the ability to, um, uh, you know, hold something uh, uh, at a corporate level or at a personal level on your balance sheet that won't get devalued. Um, and it's just an interesting, beautiful thing. It takes on many, many forms uh, all across the world, um, just as, you know, uh, in Thailand, um, you know, you have different uh, disciplines of, of martial arts that are more so readily practiced. Um in Dagestan, they're doing whatever the hell they're doing over there. Um, they're they're uh, not doing sambo. Um, they hate sambo. And uh, you know, in Brazil, they're they're doing uh, BJJ, and and all of it is uh, you know this confluence of the sport that we love called MMA. Hundred percent, and and I think um, you know to your point, it becomes that much more of an issue if you are working extremely hard for your money, right? And I guess there's different definitions of that, and 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 varying levels of that. 
not everyone works very hard for their money, right? If you if you inherited your money or if you are kind of working a comfortable job or you don't have to really move around, do a lot of things. Um, you're talking about construction workers, landscapers, coal miners, um, you know, fighters or football players, whatever it is. Um, there's varying uh, levels of that. Um, our time is limited. Uh, our bodies are on the line. Um, our brains are on the line. Why wouldn't you want to maximize your time and hold on to that monetary value that you've stored over the years? Um, and um, I, I, I think people take that for granted and, and don't really realize the value of your time and your body. Um, and I, I think that this is just a, a whole new um, dimension for people uh, to kind of get into and be a part of the Bitcoin network. So um, I'm I'm really curious to see how it evolves. I know that it will um, increase uh, in value and, and people will see the beauty um, and importance of, of the Bitcoin technology. I think fighters, to, to your point, I think fighters especially, I know fighters especially have uh, an appreciation, a larger appreciation for earning their money and, and uh, putting their body on the line each and every time they step into that octagon, they step into that ring, they step onto that mat, whatever they're doing. Um, I think that Bitcoin as a wealth storing mechanism, uh, not only would it be more attractive to fighters who are doing that and want to maximize their ability to retain what they're earning, right, with their blood, with their sweat, and with their hard work uh, in the months leading up to every single one of their fights and the months in between fights, um, and particularly for fighters who may find themselves on the undercard. Uh, they may find themselves at the bottom of the undercard more so than not. Um, you know, let's say they, they're, you know, a career undercard fighter, a journeyman is the term, um, I, I suppose. I'm not sure if it has a negative connotation or not, but there are some fighters who find themselves on the undercard near the bottom, near the middle, um, and they, they fight that way for five, six, seven, maybe a decade, and then they retire. Uh, and after that, more often than not, um, you know, it just isn't enough to live off of following that. Um, right. You see even people like, uh, you know, the former heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, um, He's uh, obviously, you know, he worked in a firehouse uh, while he was champion. Um, but now uh, on the most recent uh, MMA hour with Ariel Helwani, he talked about how he was going to work until 65 so he could get a pension. Um, so then he could live after that. Uh, and and that, um, that, that rang in my ears for hours after listening to that interview. Like, why does the former heavyweight champion of the world have to work to get a pension? You know, that doesn't make sense. He's the baddest man on the planet. Um, and it got me thinking, right, does, you know, does Bitcoin sort of offer an alternative savings mechanism for these fighters, uh, you know, who may not be earning enough to live off of after they, they exit their organization? Yeah. You know, in, in regards to savings, I, I think a lot of professional athletes um, struggle, may, maybe not a lot, but I, I think, I don't know, if you're making millions of dollars or you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it is, I, I think. Um, you know, some people have the ability to save, some do not. Um, it all depends on what your spending habits are like, what are your expenses, et cetera, et cetera, what's your lifestyle like. Um, but for, for those that are interested in saving their money and, and uh, trying to save for the future, um, when you start realizing that, you know, 40% of your money is gone through taxes, um, if you're a fighter, you got to pay your coaches, you got to pay for all, you know, the supplements, the, the, the other coaches, the travel expenses, bringing fighters in, all that stuff. It doesn't leave you with a whole lot, um, especially if you're investing into your next training camp or what have you. Um, 
you know, thinking about it in terms of, you know, uh, the ultimate uh, shoebox or the most secure mattress in the world and, and one that is most likely going to increase um, indefinitely uh, with time, um, why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do that? If you are interested in living uh, a good life later on down the line, instead of, you know, giving your money to a bank, which is, you know, basically they're going to take uh, 90% of it or more invested in other things. They're going to make money off of your money. And then you have a government or Fed that's going to inflate your money. So you're losing money on taxes. You're losing money on your expenses. You're losing money on inflation. What will you have left? That is the question. And what do you want to be a part of? Like, do you want to be a part of that system? Or do you want to be a part of the Bitcoin network that is always true, that is always secure, that is going to increase over time and as people learn about it? So I don't know. I, I think there's still a lot of education that needs to take place, similar to mixed martial arts, similar to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That process takes time. Um, you need to educate yourself about those things. And once that takes place and people start asking the right questions and start actually digging um, in for that information and, and see that the answer is Bitcoin, um, you know, th that's when I, I think uh, a lot of this chaos, a lot of this confusion, a lot of this disinformation um, is eventually going to go away. Fantastic. Um, Bitcoin right now, uh, since the white paper um, is coming up, uh, on its 15th birthday, uh, if we're going by the white paper, it just turned uh, just turned 13, uh, 14 rather, um, if we're going by the, the first block. And so uh, in, in UFC terms, we're right around uh, 2006, 2007 uh, timeframe for, for the life of the uh, life of the UFC, life of the organization. Um, and so if the, if the UFC is any indication uh, for Bitcoin, you know, we've got we've got maybe five, five, six years when it comes to Bitcoin until we reach that escape velocity and we, we become mainstream. Um, and, uh, you know, here at TBL, we tend to think that Bitcoin has a future, um, you know, sort of as this base layer monetary asset. Um, that's what Nick wrote his, his book layered money about. Um, you know, we tend to think that, that Bitcoin has the, uh, uh, the, the technology is there, right? It's, uh, it's infinitely divisible, near infinitely divisible. I like to use the term infinitely scarce, even though it's not infinitely scarce, um, up through 2140, I won't be alive. Um, you know, it, it's going to continue uh, decreasing its supply schedule. Um, and there's nothing like that anywhere. And so I say infinitely scarce because all for all the rest of time, there's only going to be a, a certain amount of these things going around. Uh, and not only that, there are going to be commodity producers producing this thing, um, you know, for the next uh, several decades um, and a decreasing amount of it, which is not something you see anywhere. Um, with gold, right, the supply schedule increases as more suppliers come onto the network. And so I think the world has yet to come around to fully understanding and wrapping their head around that technology. Um, but, uh, you know, similar to the UFC in, in the year 2001, 2002, 2003, people are wrapping their head around the concept and exactly what it can bring as of right now. Uh, and I think within the next half decade or even less, um, I think we're we're going to fully breach escape velocity in terms of public understanding of what Bitcoin is and what it could be, and then the asset itself repricing to reflect that. So I I personally am am very excited for the next uh, you know several years we have ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and again, if if you're looking at some of these early movers, because I, I, it's still early, guys. Um, 
But, you know, any, if you look at the energy companies and what they're doing, and, and they're mining Bitcoin, you see a lot of these leaders in the technological fields that are realizing the power of Bitcoin. Everyone from, you know, Tim Cook to, you know, uh, Michael Saylor to, you know, Druckenmiller, all these, all these uh, legendary investors, um, you know, that are, you know, learning about Bitcoin and buying a lot of it and own a lot of it. Um, of course, they're, they're going to be some of the early movers. But, you know, it's fascinating to me that people see all these other people that are investing in Bitcoin and are still saying things like it's a scam, it's a Ponzi scheme or whatever. Like, it's it's interesting. But those are the people that are going to, uh, you know, get in on Bitcoin on the price that they deserve. And, and because of their lack of education, because of their lack of going out and seeking you know, what the actual information is out there, um, they're going to lose out on literally an opportunity of a lifetime, in my opinion. Absolutely tremendous, Kenny. For the next five or 10 minutes here, uh, let's quickly talk about fights. Um, now, I, I, I usually don't go out this far into the future in terms of, uh, in terms of fights, but I, I took a look, and the next six or seven cards, I believe, probably even eight cards, um, at least the headlining fight, but I know the, these cards are stacked uh, top to bottom, um, and we don't often we don't often get a lot of this. Twenty twenty two is a fantastic year. Uh, I remember uh, twenty nineteen was a fantastic year for fights, uh, but it's not often that we have seven weeks in a row of. I'll just I'll, I'll spew off a few of them here before we even get to, to Jones returning at heavyweight. We have uh, Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. That's going to be uh, a barn burner. Obviously, Derek Lewis fan favorite. Sergey Spivak is on an absolute tear. That should be tremendous. And then we have the super fight the following week. Mahashev versus uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, which everyone's looking forward to. I think we've all seen the photos of, uh, you know, 190 pound Volkanovsky, uh, and we're, we're really <laughs> excited to see what he can do at lightweight. Uh, yeah. And then we have Marlon Vera versus Corey Sanhagen the following week, which should be absolutely insane. Corey always brings the heat. Marlon Vera has been getting some crazy knockouts as of recently. And that's just the next three weeks before yeah. we even get to John at heavyweight. And then the two uh, widely anticipated uh, two title fight rematches uh, at middleweight and at welterweight. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, heading into the next uh, six, seven weeks of fights here? What are you uh, looking forward to the most? Yeah. yeah you know, um, the Alexander Volkanovsky fight, he's the champion at 145 pounds, of course, in, in, in the UFC taking on uh, the lightweight champion, 155 pounds, Islam Mahashev. To me uh, and many others, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky is the best uh, fighter pound for pound on the planet the way that he integrates everything together um is amazing and, and it's especially amazing considering the fact that he got into the sport quite late he, he was a, a former rugby player learned the sport i think er, in his early 20s mm -hmm. uh and to see what he's accomplished uh, is nothing short of amazing um so the way he puts it all together um his toughness uh you know his preparation is second to none but he's facing Another guy in, like like Habib Nurmagomedov that you know exactly what he's going to do and you can't stop it. Islam is that good of a grappler. Um, so I'm really curious to see if Islam's able to stop those takedowns of Islam Mahash. If he's able to do that, he's got a great shot. Um, and I, I think his, his conditioning, um, the way that he uh, sets up his footwork to create angles and to create traps to lead you into shots... I, I think is some of the best stuff I've, I'm seeing right now in all of mixed martial arts. Um, and I think he's capable of, of catching Islam Mahashev, uh, Mahashev in a trap. But Islam is so good as a, of a grappler that if he does get 
um, Alex down, it, it could be a, a, a long night or perhaps a short night for Alexander Volkanovsky. His size is also going to be a factor. So curious to see how that goes down. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that fight. Of course, there's the rematch between Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Um, you know, I, I could watch those guys fight uh, over and over again. I think we will be. I think, world. you know, after yeah. this one, whoever wins, we're, chances are we're going to get a trilogy down the line. And and the precedent is also now set for quadrilogies in the UFC. So, so really, totally. who knows? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. Um, Izzy can make the proper adjustments, I think, to win that fight. Pereira can, can make adjustments to actually be uh, more dominant in that fight against Adesanya. So can't wait for that one. Uh, you, you mentioned San Hagen uh, and Marlon, Marlon Cheeto Vera. Uh, two of the best guys at 135 pounds, super technical, can do it all. That's going to be awesome. John Jones taking on Cyril Gaon. I mean, there's there's so many great fights out there. Uh, it, it's a good time to be a mixed martial arts fan for sure. 100%. It's not too often, folks, that you get uh, an advertisement not only for Bitcoin and sound money, uh, but also uh, the, the next seven weeks of UFC fights. Uh, watch your wallets um, because uh, the dollars will certainly be flying out of them. Um, Kenny, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, before we Before we sign off, where can people find you? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I am on uh, social media at Kenny Florian. Uh, and if you guys are interested in, in learning about mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you guys can check out KennyFlorianMartialArts.com. And please check out uh, our, pat, our, our podcast as well, the Anakin Florian podcast, which is on the DraftKings uh, YouTube page. You can, you can hear the full episode there or on any of the, the platforms um, if you guys are into the just the audio so yeah thanks so much and joe thank you so much for all the great information you put out uh on social media and uh appreciate you having me absolutely thanks kenny thank you <laughs>